0: You would think that when your state rep votes, you would be able to know how they voted. They represent you, after all. But most of the time, you'd be out of luck because there's no record of how they voted. When Massachusetts passed criminal justice reform in 2017, state reps snuck in a Blue Lives Matter amendment that gave police more power and created a new mandatory minimum. The amendment was opposed by criminal justice advocates, but it passed, and we don't know which state reps voted for it. On the other hand, the Safe Communities Act, a bill that had tremendous popular support and would have protected immigrants from Trump's cruel and racist policies, was brought to the Massachusetts legislature, but was killed. Wanna know how those state reps voted? Good luck, they never recorded their vote. So why are we in the dark on all these votes? The House usually doesn't record how state reps vote. The exception is if there's a roll call vote. To request a roll call, 16 reps have to demand it and it's extremely rushed. They have five seconds to jump to their feet before the chair declares if enough of them demanded it. Without roll call, there's just a voice vote. The chair simply declares the outcome of the vote by how many ayes and nays they hear. There is no record on how wide the margin was or who voted which way. And in most cases, nobody says a word. The chair just decides what the outcome would have been based on what he or she is told by leadership.
1: Amendment number 18, Representative Jones of North Reading and other members of the House move to amend the order by inserting after proposed
2: rule 33F the following, 33J. Chair, here's no objection.
3: The clerk will dispense with the further reading of the amendment. Chair, here's none. Question comes on the adoption of the amendment. All those in favor say aye. All those opposed no. The no's have it. The amendment is not adopted.
0: Yeah, this is how laws are made. Even though they have a fancy little voting machine at-
3: And we are live. We're back with Renters Radio. This is the State of the Statehouse special. I'm your host Lauren Pespiza. I'm happy to be with you once again in this uh, dire time, talking about the issues at the state house. I really appreciate that intro from Erica. Vote for Erica if you live in Somerville. Um, that was
4: that first time running a political ad on air. That was yeah, good.
3: Yeah, and we didn't even get paid for it. I know. I wonder we if just, we
4: broke any FEC violations.
3: Well, I mean, there's no money involved. We just support this candidate That's because true. they're calling out the transparency issues in the White House, or not the White House, the state house. And it's
2: a problem have. at all levels, don't
3: worry. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It applies to everything, but the Bob DeLeo graphic is my favorite. That's all. So I'm here with uh, my co-host as usual, Evan George. Hello, hello. How have you been?
4: I've been fantastic. I've been busy, but probably not as busy as I guessed Where it comes to our uh, <laughs> tour work, which is, um, as people probably could hear, we have Jonathan Cohen in the studio. How's nice. it going?
2: Good. Thank you for having me.
4: No, um, absolute pleasure.
3: So I just want to say the first time I met Jonathan was when I was walking home from work in Brighton on Parsons Street. And uh, I believe you were canvassing for Lee Nave Jr. Yeah. And I'd been canvassing for Lee Nave Jr. And I was like, yo, I know you from Twitter once you told me your name. (laughs) He's like the master of hot takes and the canvassing superhero for local progressive candidates. Um, I try, I try. And I guess you have a day job. (laughs) <laughs>
2: and i manage my time well <laughs> yeah exactly
3: super effective and uh super funny so we're really glad to have you on for some insight so um a couple of things have been going on at the state house recently mm-hmm. that have been really bothering us or at least bothering me and probably all of us uh, which have been the major um police reform bill and mm-hmm. the housing bills and we're gonna get into that but i know evan has some kind of like overarching arc he wants to get into i do
4: and um just you got to share <laughs> your, your uh your jonathan story so uh yes. wh- one of my favorite stories about you and this was during the primary uh democratic primary from like warren and bernie yeah and uh like the twitter battles of like the boston massachusetts warren <laughs> people versus bernie people and someone um a bernie bo- a bernie bro but like a, in the bad sense not the positive way that i'm a bernie bro. Yeah. bad sense uh, he posted a photo of you and just said like check out this liz lad and everyone on like both the Warren side, the Bernie side, and like the ultra left side, just started bashing this kid. <laughs> it was like, "Don't you ever talk about Jonathan?" <laughs> <laughs> and like, it brought all of uh, Twitter together for like a, a good hour. And uh, That's so, funny.
2: Um, yeah, unifying uh, y- figure among the left. That's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
4: and uh, yeah so we had uh the budget episode about the city council and then michelle Wu wanted to come on and this was another thing that really pissed us off in terms of the state house and how our state house operates and that you know because every year we go through this and every year people are like how do we have super majorities of the Mm -hmm. democrat party and massachusetts can't pass like the most marginal uh even if you want to call it progressive and like one of the big um fight that happened during this was the Coseca movement. We've mm-hmm. been trying to pass the um, uh, this might not be the official title. You might know what it is. Work and Family Mobility Act. Thank you, which is basically to allow just an expanded use of documents so people who are undocumented mm-hmm. can gain access to a driver's license. This is not a controversial thing. It exists in, I believe, 12 to 15 mm-hmm. other states. Including,
2: <laughs> including e- even some red states.
4: Yes. And, so, and yet, after 15 years, these people had to sleep out in front of the state house for 13 days, sleeping outside during what was insane heat, yeah. just to get them to have a vote on the bill, which they refused to do. Mm-hmm. And so what we are going to try to answer, and we might fail because this <laughs> is a, me- a, a meta topic, is just how how is this possible? How do we live in a solid blue state? Mm-hmm. And to do this, because I am ill equipped to do it, we brought you in. We brought the experts, yeah. and uh, we were going to have uh, Matt Miller and Grace come on. However, they've been bought off by the Walsh administration. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: so, I'm only kidding. Uh, they had some last minute things. All love. We're going to have them on at some point. But somebody else reached out to us who was also um, angry about the state house and. Um, Herb, if you want to try to uh, bring on an um, other surprise guest uh, <laughs> just to join the conversation, and we're going to take it, and the reason we side with the act on mass, is the internal workings of the State House are completely anti-democratic. Mm-hmm. And there's a few different elements of this t- that we can go into. But I just want to hear just from your thoughts on it. What is to you the most anti-democratic element of the Massachusetts State House?
2: Ooh, if I to only... yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had to prioritize <laughs> it, if I had to only choose one, what would I? I think what would I go with? If I could only... The one th- one thing I'll, I'll point to is I don't know if I would say this is quite the most anti-democratic thing, but it's a structural thing that creates a lot of the problems. Um, is the nature of how. They have a very tiered uh, system for the, the money that they get, which they voted to make even more tiered before, so that you have a built-in incentive to do whatever the speaker wants, because the speaker can keep or can give you a chairmanship or a vice chairmanship or deny that to you, and that's a significant sum of money. So it creates it helps create a system where people view the speaker as their boss rather than their constituents as their boss, because the speaker determines their determines their salary in a way that their constituents don't. Oh, I like that one. And
3: and who, who is the speaker, so we can all be clear?
2: Oh, about Bob DeLeo or Winthrop? Bob DeLeo Winthrop. <laughs> um,
4: but uh, I, I, I think we may, have, um, we may have contact. Um, Do we have our surprise guest?
3: Wait, am I going to be surprised? we have a guest?
4: Hello? What's
5: going on? What's
3: up? Hello. What's
4: and um, is this Scam the Milkman Tarly? Yes, this
1: is.
3: Oh, my God. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to the show.
1: Sorry. What's going on? I heard someone bailed out. I figured I could fill in a little bit, slide some commentary. Uh, It's not like I'm doing anything besides making a grummy, so whatever. (laughs)
4: Nice. (laughs) Yeah, this is our first uh, Cross Boston Left podcast uh, episode. So this is good. Synergy. Yeah. It's like the the Infinity War episode of uh, The Avengers here. (laughs) So um, right right now, what we're talking. Oh, I'm sorry. Go is my sound okay
3: we need it i uh, can there. you turn it up herb it's a little quiet
4: there we go we'll be playing with the ones and twos you want to uh, yeah. sing us a tune we can touch your levels
1: Could
3: be good. hello be good. i'm here okay
4: and I was going uh, maybe move yeah, a little bit right. closer to your thing. I mean, I, I can hear you, but it's it's a little yeah, soft. Yeah, it's a
3: little quiet, but... Um...
4: But that's okay. It's so, a little
1: quiet? Okay. Let me DM you another number then and call me on that one.
3: Gosh. Yeah, it's, we it's can got, do it. It's got burners for days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, so uh, while,
4: while we set all that right. up, I think okay. we... So what you listed was basically the ability to give and take away championships.
2: Yeah. And so kind of that income, that kind of almost income structure that it exists where you really do have somebody acting as your boss and being able to kind of give or deny stuff. I would also say that there's a certain uh, an element of, of the ability to give or deny information and the kind of the very tight timeline that things operate in is another particularly undemocratic thing uh, that you saw that in the House recently when you uh, or kind of a few times where you'll see a bill formally exits the House Ways and Means Committee at like 11 a.m. And then amendments are due at the end of the business day and people start voting the next day so that you really don't have. So other than, let's say, if you can hear about what the if you can get access to the text because, you know, somebody who knows somebody. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's like a mad scramble in which representatives need to actually like figure out what they're even going to file, even though they end up withdrawing all of their amendments anyway. Uh, but it ends up making it so that it's very difficult for advocates to Your call has in a been forwarded
0: to an automated voice messaging system. system.
2: 9787
0: seven. <laughs>
2: Oh, hey. you are
3: doxing somebody right now.
1: That
4: was so close. I was all right. You eight, know the area six, code.
3: 675309.
2: Oh, yeah, you know nothing. Has anybody ever tried calling that number?
3: There's actually okay, there's an entire website. I want to tell. I know this fact. <laughs> an entire website devoted to that number with every area code and what it is. Amazing. And, and half of it is Jenny's plumbing service, or something. Somebody got you know, the number.
0: If, you, if, you, <laughs> if, if I were
2: a small business and have yes. the ability to get that number and name it something Jenny's, like kudos. That's exactly
3: what it is. Yes, it's awesome.
4: And all right, attempt number two. No command? Are you there?
1: Hi. Oh, there sorry we go. go. Oh, you sound great. Sorry. Man. Yeah. No, I figured. I figured I might as well just use like a direct line then. That might be a little bit easier. So yeah, that's sorry for fun. the Scamble, is here now. Whatever. What's going on? How's <laughs> everybody From- doing? We're doing well. But, uh, a
4: little Good. toasty in the heat, but we have some uh, some porch rockers. I'm not, I'm not as fancy as you. I'm not a mixologist. I'm a- oh yeah, these
1: okay.
3: are, these are beer just regular regular Boston beers. So just a quick intro. This is Scanwell Tarly from We Need Some Milk podcast. We want to cross promote there? where Cross promotion is due,
1: and uh, we can carry on from there. <laughs> yeah, it's sure, very you know. Figured I could come back on, come on and chat a little bit. Jonathan's the expert. I'm more the <laughs> nice observer. To, <laughs> nice to hear you. You know, Jonathan's been on our pod. That's funny. Yep. So yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, okay, you know, I, I might as well just like, nothing's new, right? Same routine. What's up? What's going on? How's everybody feeling? Is everybody mad?
3: Mm.
5: <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's so, what I was so going to so
3: say. So right. Yours is the only podcast that really encapsulates the same anger that I have. So I feel very validated when I listen to it.
1: Well,
3: well I, like you're uh, you know, we trying to right. Really right
2: but... Yeah, it's. Somebody (laughs) else feels feels it. It's
1: righteous anger, but continue to the discussion. I was watching it earlier on live. So so so
4: so right now we are we're gonna attempt to answer a very meta question, Mm -hmm. which is um, how is it that the Massachusetts Democratic Party, Democrats control Mm supermajorities, but we can't we can't pass progressive legislation at all. Mm -hmm. And right now we're just going over some quick highlights as to the internal workings of the state. Uh, Jonathan mentioned um, the chairmanships and how basically you have a financial instruction to do what the speaker says. Um, also okay. the quick timeline that people have once you receive the bill to file amendments. People have, what is it? Three hours?
2: Yeah, it could be maybe some kind of like, like six hours. Sometimes it's like you won't, don't even have a full day uh, to do stuff. Cause at the start of the session uh, representative John Hecht of Watertown uh, had filed an amendment to the rules package saying that people should have at least three hours. So at least three days. To read a bill before voting on it, and they overwhelmingly voted that down, as though that's like somehow controversial that you should have enough time to like actually do diligence in what you're about to vote on. And they even voted recently against having two hours to read bills before voting on them in committee. Jeez! So
3: it was a speed vote. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> do what leo tells you, basically.
4: And I mean, so you didn't go with, for me is the most obvious, which is the thing that like, we mentioned this on this program before, Yeah. but it is, we do not record the how people vote. I don't know. I don't know what the actual ratio is. Yeah. So, uh,
2: so much, so, yeah, in the sense of when it comes to like the interaction between, let's say the, the building and the outside world, the fact that so many things die with everybody having clean hands
5: mm-hmm.
2: it is a major loss when it comes to actually civic accountability. Right. Because and you can see that with some uh, some of the bills, re- some of the bills recently, especially with uh, say especially when it comes to the the place of reform bills, where many amendments are withdrawn without discussion or debate, So, like simply person goes into the process of filing them, then they're gone. Uh, or then, as like the, the the video from Erica really excellently uh, excellently demonstrated, even if something is formally voted yet. Yeah, voted up or no so often nobody speaks on it they don't even read the full amendment there's no actual vote there's no actual record of if it like of if it did pass if it didn't pass where anybody stood so there's a it makes it difficult for people for both representatives to really engage in the process but for you to know what your what your legislators are doing uh because you the number of actually contested votes are rare, mm-hmm. and some of the times when they even do have recorded votes is like a—it's a ceremonial thing where they all agree and they all think it's good and they want to be on record, and it's like, yeah. The hell is you a, unanimously, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, give yourself a pat on the back. Like some of this is like I think some of the, sometimes I think it is legally required. I think that they are they are legally required to vote on a rules suspension, mm-hmm. like when they go past nine PM and they have to vote on it congratulations um or if they have if they're like transferring land from the state to a municipality and they formally need to vote on it and they need to formally vote if they're overriding a veto from the governor which they don't do that often Mm -hmm. in past years they've only really done that when it comes to line items for the budget so like restoring a bunch of earmarks to their district is like the only time like last session that they actually put up a fight to the governor
3: so this has been an ongoing issue in our state house for a while um however the past couple weeks we have seen a lot of roll calls yeah <laughs> what's up with that
2: so the police reform one especially in the house was a fascinating thing to watch because you had a number of people especially because it was such a contentious issue and it's a contentious issue from like both sides of the political spectrum mm-hmm. created an incentive where a number of people wanted themselves and their colleagues on record uh which uh and that it, le- it led to a number of votes that are much closer than than one typically expects because in some cases, if Republicans think that police issues are a winning, winner for them, they want to go on record of weakening the bill as much as possible. Same for some conservative Democrats. And then there are kind of some, on the progressive side, people who want to go on record of supporting strengthening things because they view that it's kind of politically advantageous. So it was a fascinating thing. It was a multi-day debate where people actually did talk about things for once, which is rare in the House. <laughs> uh, one of the most fascinating votes um, was actually even of... Where they had a vote that almost failed, which is something that never happens in the legislature, because things never really get up to a vote without the outcome being determined. And, and, the- and
4: actually, like, that's just a very good point to highlight. So, yeah. like, so Because this is yeah. how it works at the federal level, this yeah. is at the state level, is just to have the bill be debated on the floor mm-hmm. basically means that the speaker already knows and has done a whip count of how the bill is going to go. Exactly. And so we only really get to hear when we do get to hear any sort of a debate, any sort of a public vote. It's basically already because in the back room, like this Excel spreadsheet, they know the outcome it's just yeah that's just important for people because yeah most people don't get that that's actually how the government works they think every bill has a hearing and everyone gets a debate and every it's like exactly it's the all know. on the
3: floor where everybody can yeah hear. No, no, no 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 yeah and
2: typically what happens is that they'll re- that if there is a controversy they'll recess and try to like make sure that they whip people into voting and then come back because mm-hmm. the one thing that was fascinating it was actually a good amendment that they passed but they barely passed it i believe the vote was uh something like 73 to 86. Uh, which is, sorry, sorry, uh, flip that around 83 to 76 or it was, it was something like that, like a seven vote, something around like a seven vote margin, which you never see that's close uh, on it. And it was, it was, a, it was a solid amendment. Didn't go far enough, but went better than the bill was originally was to make sure that if police are using a no knock warrant that they have to cert, kind of certify that there are no children or elderly present.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I have, no, I have, I have,
4: I think so, um, not um, far enough. Yeah, not like it does it's like
2: it's seemingly basic. You know they shouldn't be allowed to use these at all. Yeah. And it it just seemingly it should be like non controversial that even if you are somebody who's like so like pro police in your mentality, or like at least you can accept that maybe we could make these exclusions and it barely passed. And yeah. from what I've heard that they had to flip votes. So like that they actually had to tell people, No, you're voting you're voting for this, sorry, because we need that we, we decided that this would pass. And like the rare time that I think that's good, it's better than that Fast than that didn't. But it's wild to think that something seemingly basic and nowhere near as far as it needed to be was, was so controversial this in the Massachusetts House. whole bill House. was that. Yeah, there, there's <laughs> so many of, uh, like, the, the like, the, the the central part of both bills was creating a certifying and decertifying commission that 45 other states already have. Right. And, like, I have heard that this version would be stronger, and that's great, I have some skepticism that they'll actually decertify that many cops. Right.
3: And uh, how long will that take after how many abuses by yeah. a cop? And what, given, yeah. yeah, we can go into it. No, yeah, of I was going to say, so that, let's but... let's actually
4: set the table for this. Let's talk about the police So, again, <laughs> we because we're going to keep poking and jabbing at the, the meta thesis. <laughs> yeah. But then we also want to talk about these bills. Yeah. And so, meta thesis. The meta mm. We're <laughs> in college. So, is now, it meta-piece time now? Yeah. Um, no <laughs> oh, dude, this is gonna get insane. Like towards the end of this, like I have a, I have a oh. very interesting arc <laughs> of like how I want to take this journey. But for people who want to know just more about the internal workings of the State House, Act on Mass mm-hmm. by friends of the show. And Matt what was Miller, that site Erica, you posted?
3: Uh, ProgressiveMass.com, dot <clears throat> had a great yeah. data sheet. Yeah. Just yeah.
4: about the internal workings. We don't record votes. The speaker gets to do whatever he wants. I'm not sure if we've had a female speaker in the past. We may have. Thing. Does anyone know that? Has there ever been a female speaker? No. Okay. Well, yeah. I
3: mean, Mar- never mind. Uh, there's people who whip people f- into shape that aren't necessarily the speaker. We've had
2: female Senate presidents, and we do currently. The House is always yeah, male. Yeah.
5: Okay.
3: Yeah.
4: And act on mass goes into that um, beautifully if you want to learn more about the internal workings. But now let's look, at now the result of that is kind of legislation like this. Yeah. So everyone here who knows this. Uh, we had uh, the George Floyd um, lynching. We had well over a month of street actions, tens of thousands of people marching in the street almost every day. Oh my god. Uh, um, Resulting in what we wanted to be some sort of a policy change. Mm -hmm. For me, this bill, I, and I don't know if anyone did this, and and you would know this if I did, I would have voted no against it, because I would say this does not go nearly far enough to address the problems, and I'm not going to let you do a victory lap off of something so uh, toothless. Mm -hmm. Did
2: anyone? No not any that just I think just in some ways, because of the internal politics of like seeing like since there was no mass to vote no on that way, it would if you don't have a mass of people willing to do that and it's difficult to send the message correct uh and because of especially I think if you're in somebody's position like that, I can understand that when like the the voices that you're hearing constantly are like every cop, every cop's wife, every cop's child, every cop's mom telling you to vote no, then the association of nos is, is with giving mm-hmm. them a win um. But it, it, it didn't go. Far I mean,
1: just long. as a just as an example, like the Boston Police Association, uh, Police union, uh, union, put out an ad in the Herald saying, "Call your legislators to tell them about common sense police reform." So it, they are very effective at trying to figure that out.
3: Oh yeah, they are. I mean, I've been uh, trolling Blue Lives Matter mm-hmm. rallies for the past couple weeks, and they keep growing in numbers. They have not only police union people there, but um. Uh, uh, corrections officers, unions there yeah. uh, in front of the state house. We had a little bit of a tussle with them and then they even said to me that some correctional officers who were told by their union to be there to protest the qualified immunity part of the bill They said they were, like, so embarrassed that they were there. They're like, I didn't expect to come here with all these MAGA hats. Like, I don't even Mm -hmm. like Trump. My union boss told me to be here. I thought we were going to have an honest debate on qualified immunity. But they were really just trying to bring numbers out Mm -hmm. to show that, basically, we love cops and vote down police reform. And then even some of the people that were there to protest were like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. So they have a pretty good organizational strategy and meanwhile, the Black Lives Matter, you know, protesters, which I've also been out with every day, are, it is dwindling, and it sucks, and mm-hmm. it's dwindling. The energies, you know, the numbers are dying, and it's it's not it's not. We haven't got enough. The, the I way, mean, as go.
1: an no, yeah, go. go, of course. They'll go. Okay, no, as an example, like the one vote that I still cannot get over, and the one that I still harp on sometimes before I go to bed is. How did anybody vote to say tear gas is a great idea? <laughs> right, like that is <laughs> yeah. just a, I know that is just like that is just like a common sense like no brainer decision. Like, mm-hmm. why would you want to tear gas anybody? And in and this instead, climate, we had people like, and then we had people like China Tyler saying yes to that, and then being upset that anybody would be upset that someone would vote for that. Yeah. And we understand the logic between like these votes right because obviously some of these votes are like decided before they even hit the floor but it's just like this kind of nature of being like oh my god we're talking about police reform we're talking about how my life matters and they actually said it's okay to gas me because they felt because they felt threatened Mm -hmm. that's just like shocking to me the value of that so when you see these like you see these vote where you see these like just no-brainer issues whether you want to call them humanitarian in nature Or do you want to call them just like human decency? Like Mm -hmm. they can't even show up for some like the people you expect to show up. They can't even do that, and that's because they want the bigger goal.
3: I think that's even a symbolic. That particular amendment is symbolic because, like, I've been tear gassed a million times. Like, it sucks, but it's also not like like you know. How about uh, not like barging into people's doors and shooting them? Mm -hmm. That that seems a little more important to me. And the, so, so the tear gas thing is not even the main point of the bill that I was. I was angry because that's like the easiest thing to vote on. Yeah, that's what everybody can agree on, right? Like
4: everyone can agree that we should not allow the Boston Police Department to do what is actually war crimes, as listed yep. by the Jiva It is Community. a war crime. <laughs> like, it is like a war crime. That yeah. should just be like an open understanding. And I think part of them saying no, 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 we can do this is yeah. like we will use whatever tools we think is necessary.
2: And, and it was comical to see people argue that like it's funny when you listen to reps try to argue against things that are so basic. Like, one argument that they're saying, oh, but, like, if we ban... The way it was worded would also ban things like mace and other chemical sprays. Which also sucks. I don't want cops using those either. Yes. Or that they're like, oh, well, if we, we ban tear gas, then they'll use attack dogs or something else. One... There was also an amendment yes. to ban t- ban attack dogs. You could have lobbied for that too. Nothing says that they need to be aggressive toward protesters. <laughs> right. You can think of other more creative ways, of, like but with this de-escalation. Was a, that was like
3: a lowest common denominator yeah. of the bill. That was like a low-hanging fruit that every put everybody could have voted for and said, "We're here for police reform," and then voted yeah. no on everything else and still gotten no, because like that was like, it's that's like you know tear. I don't know, at, at least in my opinion, that seemed like something that would have been something so easy for mm-hmm. everyone to get behind and then go home and say, oh, we care about, you know, like yeah. the protesters. We're, in a, we're banning tear gas and then do nothing else. Instead, they also didn't vote for tear- <laughs> to ban tear gas, which yeah. is like kind of like the, messed up. One of the other
2: things in
1: the house. And like that's just is a- like my personal thing. I don't know how like obviously there's a collective like frustration at that. But that's like one that I personally have being like. It's just, like, it's easy, like, you know, who's going to really be like, what the hell, you know? How could yeah. you vote no against something exactly. like that? But, you know, here we are, right?
2: Yeah. Another good example of something that seems so basic that, that still got voted down in the House and it was actually in the Senate's bill is something that says it was it was the language of a bill from Senator Mike Barrett uh, that says that if a local police department wants to get access to the military equipment, there needs to be a, a hearing of the city council and there needs to be a city council vote. Uh, like honestly we should ban that transfer entirely <laughs> but like if you're looking for the most basic possible thing saying that there should be some democratic so, process around it shouldn't be controversial especially because like the police will probably win that vote unfortunately <laughs> given like the so, politics of cities yeah. so
3: here's the thing about military equipment for police um i come from boxborough it's a very small town we have a uh, umv we have a police helicopter we have more cows than most towns <laughs> and the most of them, what the cops did when i was growing up was chase us around for smoking weed behind the school and they have all kinds of military equipment but they don't have it because the town paid for it they have it because department of homeland security mm-hmm. gave it to them
5: mm-hmm.
3: so i'm not even sure i'm actually more curious to look into what that would like would the towns be able to ban dhs from just giving the cops stuff? They... because that's what I that's mean, how they're so, getting it. It's, so, not, so it's, basically, not, pay- um, it's not the town. No, no. So um,
4: it's, it's called the 1033 program. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. been in existence uh, somewhere around like the um, the turn of the second Bush administration, like yeah. Iraq. War. Post, basically, post, post We, we, we yeah. have made so much stuff for the American mm-hmm. uh, war machine that is somewhat useless, and we just we need to make more because a lot of our only like thing our that industrial policy is, 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 is weapons. Basically, is basically that's the only thing we can do. We we can't make tests. We can't make Q-tips for uh, yeah. COVID vaccines, but we can make guns and yeah. Humvees, and so. But if if you... only
2: Humvees were the solution to COVID. <laughs> oh, oh, we'd be I fine. Want a yeah, so the
4: 1033 <laughs> program basically lets the Army pawn off for free for local police departments yeah. the surplus military equipment, so then they can order more. Mm-hmm. You you can stop that pipeline. You can say to your mm-hmm. local uh, police department, you are not allowed to accept or to mm-hmm. re- request anything. And from that's what world. this was. Basically, yeah. This it was wasn't... Trying, trying to restrict a city or a state's police force. Okay. From, yeah. Because I was
3: confused about whether it was from purchasing or whether it was for restricting. Because from my understanding, most of this stuff these small town cops have, they got for free.
4: No, exactly. Yeah. And, but and, but like, it's still just like, why not like, get you know, a helicopter? You get that. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can get a helicopter for free. Why not get a helicopter? Yeah, well, I mean, but if you I... get that equipment, you use it. And exactly. there have been plenty of studies that show that the more a local police department uses the 1033 program, the more that they will actually use force. Because guess what? When you have all these yeah. tools, you use them. It's exactly. not. Exactly. It's yeah. something
2: that's a core part of the mentality of thinking of, thinking of policing in general. is like, if you have different technologies and tools, you will use them. You are building a scenario where you're priming that use. And the same thing of like, when you think of, do we need people with guns to, to like enforce the tra- traffic? Mm-hmm. If they have guns, they will approach traffic enforcement yes. in a fundamentally different way than somebody without a gun would. Absolutely.
1: Um, yeah. Like what, I guess one of the examples that you could use in this is like, it's Christmas for the cops. With yeah. all these toys, <laughs> yes, like when you when you give them all these toys to use, of course they're gonna get gassed up to want to use them because oh, they yeah. have to. Mm-hmm. Like they paid for it. Why would you pay for it and not use it? They I didn't. Mean, you they didn't even pay exercises. for it. <laughs> they didn't even pay. Yeah. For why it. would you even take it if you are going to use it? But it's kind of like once they get these toys, they gotta use them. And this is the like the issue is is like as Jonathan was saying, like. Mm-hmm. If you have a cop use a gun during traffic enforcement, you get a different outcome versus one that does not. You're only simply giving out tickets versus, like, approaching someone with a hand ready to, like, pull the pistol. Like, it's an insane perspective that we live in where we normalize people approving budgets for military equipment to begin with as if, like, this is going to be red dawn in their neighborhood and <laughs> oh, they, yeah. need to to the, they need to go to the vault and get it. like i i under like i i don't want to like i I, it just like amazes me that here is like the power of the purse and people are absolutely horrified at like reining in police budgets just based off of the military equipment like that's controversial Mm -hmm. to them and it shouldn't be but for some reason police need you know the latest surveillance equipment or the latest like drone to be put in the air like whatever i i don't know like whatever new is like, they need to be armed
3: shit. to watch <laughs> construction workers fill in potholes that's a very dangerous yeah, like the details and shit, yeah. you know yeah yeah
2: <laughs> one thing that we, we can talk about more that you they flagged they issue of qualified immunity is that what people yes, are protesting because yes. that was a big flashpoint in the debate it's something that the Senate, Tried to address, and it was one of like the main things that would actually yield some type of change oh, uh, that the house couldn't yeah. bring themselves to pass.
4: Um, just for the uh the sake of the audience, to either you yeah. or Lauren? Do you want to just explain qualified immunity? Yeah.
2: So Go it's so it. it's a legal doctrine developed over years in part after, after Supreme Court rulings that basically says that if a police officer a police officer can only be held accountable. If there is an exact case an existing case law in which a police officer was held accountable and by
4: held accountable um, we're now talking about personally and, yes. and, and versus what normally happens if a police officer lynches someone the, the city pays. the city gets sued. so
2: you're like you're actually doubly victim you're, it's yeah. like almost like a doubly victimization of the kind of the public yeah uh, but yeah, so like the insane for and it, for violating people's basic constitutional rights mm-hmm. at that that and I think an example of the ludicrousness of this of this doctrine is can really be shown by the examples that it, the defenders of qualified immunity give for for why it's so important. There was a, a piece in WBUR earlier where this one lawyer who defends uh, police officers talked about a case in which this one officer who uh, that there was a woman, I think, outside of a hospital having a mental right, health episode. Right. And this guy who was like 75 pounds heavier than her and like forces her to the ground uh, and teases her uh and uh i think she wasn't able to successfully sue and who guy was like how would he know that tasing like a a woman having a mentally health episode who's significantly smaller than him was bad how like how could how possibly could he have known and it's like that, that like what a twisted mindset for you to think that like um no i i'm pretty sure that none of these cops are like well it isn't in case law that I've dutifully studied over the years of yeah. every single possible thing that is that is already proven wrong. So, right? No, you need basic standards of what you can and do as well as uh, have. And so basically what the attempt in the, in the Senate bill that's done, and it's similar to some other attempts at reforming qualified immunity, is to actually make it so that people that people can sue for civil damages in is in court when their constitutional rights are violated But If it's something that you can generally agree, yes, that they should have known that what they were yeah. doing was illegal.
4: And, and, and really like this would just make legal. What people already assume sue. is the law. Exactly. Right. Like that was something
2: <laughs> that was wild to me. Uh, when I was making calls, uh, For kind of around for qualified immunity and somebody was like oh if police officers do bad things they already get fired like no No, they really don't (laughs) no nothing (laughs) happens to them america
4: you can sue anyone just like no 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 No. like that's been (laughs) drilled in your head to make you think we don't need any sort of like policies that oh we we just sue each other just like that isn't how this actually actually works
2: works. and as well as the other kind of thing that it happens is like not only do you have the cases that got brought up end up getting dismissed is that there is a there would be a whole universe of cases that will never even see the light of day because people know that they won't advance. Mm-hmm. So that if if you know that, if you're a lawyer and you, you need to, like, you wanna win something, you're gonna be less likely to take up a case if you think it's just going to go down because uh, because the courts will always, will impair the police. It's like, you're not even allowing it to go through the process of like, yes, the judges are already stacked and tend to be biased toward police and so do, so do juries and there's a whole, problems in the whole criminal justice system beyond yeah. that. But you're not even allowing them to get that far. Uh, and just dismissing them there was also one thing that was that was addressed in the senate in the senate bill that the house didn't even touch is is a a flaw in the massachusetts civil rights act that says that uh that unless something is by threats coercion or intimidation it's not a problem when like you can think of it's difficult to there's kind of a whole realm of possible constitutional rights violations that, that they'll allow me like, well, there was no direct threat made to the person. Uh, even though, like, the examples of the stories there will be this, of, like, that, that senators gave of things that were called as, like, not threats, coercion, or intimidation, or, like, police officers attacking people or police officers, like, uh, kind of, like, strip-searching people in public or other kind of blatant violations of rights. Yeah. But I'm like, and, but be- because they claimed no threat, coercion, or intimidation... Sorry, we can't do anything.
3: I mean, that's pretty threatening, coercive, and intimidating. Exactly, like the very uh, presence of the, poli- uh, the <laughs> yeah. very presence
2: of the police officer is, in many yeah. ways, a, th- a form of threats, coercion, or intimidation because of the power that they have vis a vis a civilian.
3: So, to get back onto qualified immunity in terms of what actually passed, it ended up being extremely declawed. What? So, like and, in the and, house, in yeah, the, well, the house, yeah, they just say, so, commission. Um, so
4: yeah, so right now, like. Senate they passed their bill, the House they passed their bill and yeah. in, the, in whatever you call the reconciliation period.
2: Yeah, so they currently now have a conference committee going yeah. on. It was appointed of uh that you have three members of the Senate, three members of the House, uh two Democrats and one Republican from each yeah. uh reconciling a bill. And so that's one of the uh that's one of the flashpoints of issues because the House passed a very narrow, very kind of watered down version of that of uh, qualified immunity reforms that own that says that a police officer can only be held accountable if they've been Decertified, which we
3: don't even know how long that process exactly. We don't even know how... like what that even means yet, because that's also a new thing. So it's like extra steps.
2: Exactly. So you're putting another hurdle to that. You're also in a way of like, given like, I think it's a pro- like as I know, it's a problem that cities often have to pay for this. But if you know, if if you have a commission that in many many ways will probably have a bias. Uh, for law enforcement, if they know that a police officer could be personally liable out of their own money to pay for damages if they get decertified, that could very well make them less likely to decertify yeah. cops. I,
4: and and I still think, like, even qualified immunity, to me, is, is still going to be a very small, marginal reform yeah. that just because they don't want it so much, like, I want us to pass it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, <laughs> but right. but it, 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 it will not... Um, y- it's a drop
2: in the bucket. Um,
4: it will not um, address the much larger structural issues of the amount of funding yeah. that police get, the exactly. yeah. use of uh, the police in our society, uh, so on and because, so.
2: Because because the fundamental thing ends up being is that the best way of reducing incidences of police brutality is to limit the scope of police. Yeah, yeah. And one of the best the, one of the best things when it comes to passing qualified immunity is just insofar as that that restricts the power of police, especially given how they're opposition to it. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: but, <laughs> Whatever the cost is. I mean,
2: obviously,
1: one of the points that you see, one of the points you see them making is, well, this affects all public employees, and this would affect the teachers, and this would affect our firefighters, and this would affect, you know, this would affect our EMS. anybody that would fall under this purview of qualified immunity. What you're seeing is a lot of the police unions use that argument as like a collective we, when yeah. really it's not about the teachers, it's not about our firefighters it's about the police and what they do to the citizenry and this is this is the directive that we have to take now you know i'm not i'm sorry i just don't have empathy toward like that argument because if if police did good things then we wouldn't really be here right like we wouldn't be having this conversation about systemic things and obviously we need to like shed a little light into what's going into our police departments and qi is a way to do that. And it's unfortunate that the spooky nature of accountability is what scares most of these unions. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure there's other factors, other groups, whatever we want to call them, MAGA, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, we know that they have been very vocal on this perspective of, you know, if you do this, it affects all public employees, including your teachers, like, think about them. And it's kind of like, we're, we're not right now, because we're not worried about them
3: that sounds like, like some all lives ended. matter i mean like or order to phrase it
4: another way I, 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 I will go on record saying that if a teacher lynches someone yeah, they, they will...
2: can also be held to the yeah, same like, standard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if any public employee is willfully violating somebody's basic com- constitutional yeah, rights, war crimes that is also yeah, a yeah
4: problem.
1: that's okay that's a,
2: yeah that's also a problem it like, yeah, doesn't happen in the same way that, but
1: you would see that response like if a teacher did something of that nature you would see a public response that would be of fury, yeah. that would be of upset. But when a police officer does it, oh, you know, it's hard. But, you know, it might be a misunderstanding. You know, let's all let's hear all that. No, we've we've done that. We yeah. we now need to be at that stage where no, if they do something bad, they are in front of a board that is determining if that action is bad, and that board should be as independent as fuck. But who knows, you know, like, who knows what the conference committee is going to come up with in this regard altogether.
3: And I'm not even sure that's enough.
2: Well, yeah, no, there's to put
3: somebody up in front of a board because yeah. they shot the wrong person when they went into the wrong house. Like, I'm not sure even that like this is just a start, but that's still yeah. That there's. That's still not even enough. I don't I don't you know like the, that's like the whole okay. systemic issue of like like this is this is one thing that they don't want uh, to get uh rid of is qualified immunity but yeah. like it's still not going to stop yeah. cops from killing people.
2: Yeah, because really <laughs> the one I was just going to make when it comes to with other unions is like, if you have cases of a teacher having sex with a student, nobody really defends that. Like, or yeah, that no, teacher. the teachers' and union the teacher probably gets fired. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes and then, they, go, I, they go. I, to it's care. just not
1: defensible, you know. It's just yeah. not defensible yeah. Whereas, to the like, degree at all. Like,
2: it. Oh, that the one, one thing that's like striking that it wasn't illegal already that got into this bill is saying that it's illegal for police officers to. Have sex with people in custody, which is always rape, because you cannot have contextual sex with Correct. somebody in custody. And, and, and I mean... Unless I, you
3: are also in custody. <laughs> let's, just, let's just
4: also repeat that, because this is, again, <laughs> one of those things people assume. It is legal in Massachusetts for a police officer to have sex with somebody in custody. Yeah. Which, again, how can you g- give consent if you are in handcuffs yes. in the back of a car being told that you're going to go to prison for 10 years, unless X, you have sex, and then, <laughs> and then yeah. you still don't get in trouble. Like... Like, there is no just I don't, society I mean, honestly, the script
3: searches
2: are like practically, yeah, bad.
4: yeah. So, like, I and now, like... um, unless there's any <laughs> remaining thoughts on the police bill,
2: this is the one thing when it comes, especially with the the qualified immunity stuff, to the, one of the few parts of it that actually has meaning, just an encouragement of people to contact their legislators to say if they're going to do pass if they're passing police form, it should actually have teeth.
4: Yes, yes, teeth. And now, to, to take this, because remember, we are talking about. Super blue progressive Massachusetts mm-hmm. that cannot pass yeah. these things <laughs> that most people just assume are already laws because it doesn't make sense that it would work the other yeah. way. Yeah. And so now this kind of brings us back to the metathesis of tonight, which is...
3: Yeah, metathesis, thesis. Which is the why...
4: Um, oh, yeah, just wait. Um, I was literally <laughs> going here, Evan. Which is why... Yeah. You know, the, wow. meme the,
2: the meme of the guy with, like, all the equations yeah, on yeah, exactly. Like is, the Charlie oh, yeah, Day of you know, the literally thing. Literally I was thinking
1: Inception. I was
4: ready to go five-level <laughs> yeah, poop yeah.
2: right but, now on this shit. Yeah, trip, no, no, oh. but,
4: but, but we have to build to it. And um, everyone, got an everyone jump in on He's this. Because what it means to be a Democrat, and what it means to be republican that means something different at the national level than it does to me in different states and different capacities mm-hmm. and just to this is my thoughts on it and i want to hear other people and um basically m- my view of it is really since the carter administration later 1970s there has been no economic distinction between the democrat and republican party at the national level there's been no distinction of foreign policy the, the the battleground has been cultural issues Things like gay marriage, things like a woman's right to choose. And that has been like the major um, debating points up until 2015 or, or the 2010s. Things start mm-hmm. to split in both. But at the state level here in Massachusetts, like th- those issues are more or less resolved where they come mm-hmm. to um, p- protecting a woman's um, right to an abortion, a woman's right to autonomy of her own body, where it comes to the gay marriage issue. And so that is not a battleground that we fight. People identify Democrat or Republican, kind of based on those cultural issues. But the Democrats have won that cultural fight. Although
2: well, they're not entirely. So okay. I, I, I no, yeah, but yeah.
1: I'll, I'll not, yeah I mean, I I mean, specifically the wrong yes. things. because yeah. we have gay marriage and shit like that doesn't mean like we have actually accomplished this like equal rights realm of, of progressivism. No, no, yeah, like I, because, I, I get what you're, I, I get we yeah. are leading to though, yeah. you know.
3: It's been, yeah, it's been social, not economic issues. At,
4: at the national level. Yes. Again, from that well, from mm-hmm. the current administration until, I'd argue, the 2010s, where you start to see splits within both parties. You start to see the Tea Party movement and the Republican Party. You start to see at least like the beginning seeds of the Black Lives Matter movement culminating, we'll say, or uh, winding up with the uh, Bernie Sanders in 2015 and now kind of leading towards internal uh, ideological shifts the Republican Party is going full Tea Party, mm-hmm. full with just the most right wing. The Democratic at the national level has the seeds, even though there's a handful of members mm-hmm. doing this to try to expand some economic things, maybe some foreign policy. But at the state level and now this is my question uh, Yeah. Question to the panel. <laughs> yeah. What does it mean to be a Democrat in Massachusetts? What is the Democratic yeah. Massachusetts oh. party? Stand Are you looking for. for like
1: a serious answer or like a funny answer first? Because I don't know what like <laughs> you have um, to think about this.
4: You can lead with the comical no. as your jab, and then I want the hook to be actually no, <laughs> okay, I'm genuinely okay, asking. Okay. This. Yeah, because, and because I, I know you sit on a board committee, yeah. And, like, like, so, like just genuinely, what does that mean?
2: Yeah. So I'll, I'll just note a few points. One thing that I'll actually say that um, that that's kind of the interesting dynamic is that like when it comes to the. the and although in many ways that there was a fight on social issues between the parties over the year, like, especially since 70s, the Democrats were terrible for a long time at the time on this issue. So it's not even a perfect yeah, analog. Absolutely. That One thing that's wild to think about is that this is actually the first time in history that there was a pro-choice majority in the U.S. House, mm-hmm. because there wasn't when Democrats had had their large majorities in 2006 or 2008 or any time before like, or like in 1994 or oh, sorry 92 when demo like after uh, that election the democrats had uh, and then, uh, the also House.
4: to build on your point wasn't it wasn't obama term one still just being like they should have civil unions exactly
2: yeah so, like, <laughs> it, it, it took a while for him to even yeah. get there and then for democrats to get there on marriage equality and you oh, had yeah, like yeah. doma under bill joe clinton
1: joe biden made him move
2: so like, joe an, biden <laughs> made
1: him move on <laughs> that. Uh, yeah. so, you,
2: so you often had like a kind of in the clinton years where you didn't actually have that great policy but a An idea of that the upper ranks of power should have representation uh, across so that you would appoint more diverse people even though you would you actually didn't want to change the laws to help people but that actually itself was even a culture a cultural flashpoint of who should actually be in the upper echelons of power as opposed to just like predominantly white, predominantly male um the one way that i actually that cheer one thing that's one way i often describe that the uh, the, of a difference between the the parties is that since there was never really the full emergence of a labor party in the U.S., you have the, a, a case where the democratic the Democrats end up viewing themselves as a party of both labor and capital, and ah. that creates that creates a fundamental conflict. And actually, I'll take a step back because one of the most interesting books that deals with kind of the the weird nature of parties in the U.S. Uh, this uh, was this book called Right Turn. Uh, the authors are Ferguson, Thomas Ferguson, and I forget Rogers's is. Uh, first name and it was they were writing in the 1980s when there was a whole discourse about how after Democrats had lost to Reagan twice uh and then people were saying that the problem was that the Democratic Party was too left-wing and that the, we yeah. need to go
4: yeah this is the uh well, the, the McGovern um
2: yeah so like yeah. when you have that whole kind of mentality that, that the problem is that the party's too left-wing we need to shift right uh and one of the fascinating things was they're looking at uh uh thinking of what a political party is because a political party if you're if you have if you're going to have a party. You need two things you need people to fund you and people to vote for you and the kind of new deal kind of coalition that democrats managed to have was a kind of brought in labor and the elements of the business world that were willing to sit in coalition yeah. with labor so if you're a capital intensive industry uh that's fine for you so like that's why for a long time the oil industry was it was aligned with democrats it's more capital intensive than it is labor intensive it's why tech tech is often pro aligned with tech industries often in the democratic camps these days, it's more it's more it's more capital intensive than labor intensive uh as well as kind of export oriented firms back then because as long as they could get the trade policy they wanted they're fine That uh, domestic and then some aspects of commercial banking were willing kind of coming out of the new deal to, to a lot could it be okay with labor getting something too because it didn't hit them too much so as long as you could still like export everything to foreign markets get, get kind of your kind of financial structure there for you and be protected, kind of have some protections. You are fine. You are willing to allow that to exist, and then kind of coming in the 1970s, you ended up having that not be able to happen at the same time, especially when you had the changes in the international kind of economy coming up then, as well as a number of uh, kind of a number of a number of let's say like national independences of so like kind of of uh, both new countries yeah. and yeah, up the up OPEC crisis
4: in the 1970s. Yeah. you also had the loss of profitability of capital exactly. in the, letter, the 1960s that says we need to make our money somewhere else. Exactly, the but now. Um, because I, I, now I only want to talk about this, the national history, but, but, (laughs) but, but but, no, bring, bring it to Massachusetts. So yeah.
2: So just, just quickly to finish that up. So it ended up kind of creating like a, basically a fundamental tension where you basically that for, to some extent, given the U.S.'s power in the world, you were able to a certain extent satisfy both labor and segments of capital at the same time. But in, in in a different international kind of economic environment, you really couldn't. Mm-hmm. You had to make you really had to make a choice. And for the most part, the Democrats, starting under Carter, said, "Well, the inve- kind of the investor class are the ones that are more more important to us because they're the more powerful mm-hmm. one." So that's why you didn't really see that many labor reforms. Um, when it comes to say in Massachusetts, I will say that there there are some things that aren't as big a flashpoint as although like abortion isn't entirely something solved here with like the failure of the Roe act mm-hmm. uh demonstrates considering the fact that uh the catholic church does still have a decent set, a decent strength in massachusetts of being very opposed to oh uh, man uh so that with like the Roe act which would have allowed like kind of, sort of like late-term abortions in cases of like kind of uh, if the mother's health is at mm-hmm. risk or kind of cases like that making sure that in Massachusetts uh, if a teenager wants an abortion uh, they have to go be for a court you have to rule the, that rules them in like that's so messy you can up. make you can make your own decision so we're, we'll, we're, we're but we're're we're, I think that the best description of it that somebody from uh, narrow Hall described it is we're like a, a middling Midwestern state when it comes to this but we're not like a, we're not like a Kansas mm-hmm. we're not like an Alabama we're not where there's like an lot all assault and it's it's an issue that isn't actually even a clear one between parties because a lot of Democrats are also the problem. Um,
3: But are they the problem on those issues in Massachusetts? Or I feel like they're more of a problem in terms of, you know, conceding to what developers want or what (sighs) cops want. Like, like a lot of them will, you know... Obviously, the driver's licenses for immigrants has been going on for forever, you know, and that's been like a ridiculous ongoing battle. That should be obvious. But in terms of those social issues, I feel like the Democrats here, a lot of them like rank and file long time sitting Democrats. Just it's more like they are not they're not. I don't know if they're church members. I feel like they're just like money.
1: Sam, did you have uh... I I was going to say being a Massachusetts Democrat means, you know, you're focused on the economic success for as far as someone can take it. Like you're not necessarily like in Massachusetts. It is still very hard to file for unemployment in Massachusetts. It's very hard to find the economic securities that you need during this pandemic. The reason it is is because that's just the way the systems are designed. And that's been since even when Deval was in power, you know, like that's just, that's just one of those things. And, what has bugged me about Massachusetts Democrats is 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 that they don't want to necessarily take the risk of thinking about others. Think right. about the gas tax. Think about like any time we do talk about a tax increase. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to believe that you know here's the public polling that you know, whether it's mass Inc or another group, whatever the public polling always seems to say we are ready to move into a new direction in some way. We're ready to evolve on the issues and yet the stagnant establishment democrats that we have unfortunately don't believe in that polling they don't believe in taking those risks because at their districts where they represent them it affects them i know there there's one you know progressive legislator out west that you know we all can adore but i know for certain that they will just not vote for a gas tax because they believe that it is regressive toward their population i could understand that perspective but at the same time if we're going to talk about expanding different ways of transit whether it's rail whether it's teleportation i'm kidding on that i've always just wanted it like it doesn't filed a teleportation
2: amendment to a transportation bill
1: I mean, I like, it, seriously, and it's just one of these things where, if we count on people to kind of take these risks and like escalating that, they should do so, and we and we don't see that. What we're going to see is a lot of like the timidity of that conversation, like uh, the trans the the transition climate and climate initiative TCI. That's not necessarily a tax beyond it being on carbon. Like we're all sucking it up anyway. And people are actively against like something like that because that is something that they think affects their wallet. And that's what most Massachusetts Democrats
3: right. that
1: have some kind of financial security think about. It's not about the person that, you know, lost their home and, you know, they're trying to figure out how to pay the rent and then how do I put food on the table? It's literally about the people in the suburbs that you don't necessarily would have thought about it to begin with but that's who this state actually thinks that's what this coming up actually thinks about unfortunately yeah leafy leafy green ourselves and liberal as this, like, <laughs> yeah like we tout ourselves as like this iconic like beacon of liberal ideas but really when we think about it your transportation sucks your school sucks you can't afford nothing like if we were actually doing what this idea is, we would see that and we don't because there's not enough Massachusetts Democrats to believe, believe in it. And and let's face it, it's it, we are purple, not blue. And that is something that we need to like embrace at this point.
2: So, one, so the one thing that I think that gets to is, as well, which is a kind of a weird case in Massachusetts, um, is that Massachusetts is a overall compared to other states viewed as a fairly blue state but it's not at all because we're a diverse state whereas like a state like california is is a, is a very diverse state right massachusetts is for the most parts of the state very white uh which ends up creating a yeah. very different kind of a you know, different politics than a California case like one uh, a book that i think is actually a great read about like the the weird dynamics of massachusetts politics is this book by an uh princeton academic lily Geismer. Called oh, "Don't Blame Us" and it looks at Massachusetts and the evolution of suburban liberalism. <laughs> don't blame uh, us. <laughs> yeah. And it looks at like now
4: a... we'll get into some of the bigger themes. Suburban. Yeah. Uh, yep, keep going. <laughs> kind of, yeah. The
2: one thing that I feel like it kind of evinces a certain type of mentality of of Massachusetts politics is the existence of the Metco program. Uh, for those who don't oh, know, oh, that yeah, because it comes from if you're in a if you're a suburbanite, and that means that. You don't want to change the don't want to change the housing policy in your, to actually allow people to afford to live in your suburb, mm-hmm. and you don't want to change tax policy so you might actually offer more money to help urban schools. But you'll take a few students each year. You won't even offer them the supports that they need. But you'll take a few of them, and you'll feel good about it. it is a, it is definitely like a strong mindset within that. And I feel that's like, that like kind of... uh, sorry, that's like saying
1: that's like putting the Black Lives Matter in your in your front lawn. Yeah, wall exactly. And exactly. then really like. And really those same those same kids you'll call the police on if it's after five o'clock. Right. And that's like yeah. one of the things that we're, you know, that's unfortunately one of the things we do see. Is what do they, they always say? You know, progresses fog, or whatever you want. To, you know, it's it's that kind of mindset. And that's, I, I don't know if Jonathan's actually alluding to that, yeah. but that is something that I do feel uh, you know, in this state as a Massachusetts Democrat and as a Black man, it's very hard yeah. to navigate the space of this when black. I know that
5: People that look like
1: there. me, <laughs> yeah, a lot of Karen's out there. You know that kind of bullshit, but yeah. it's just like there's not a lot of people that look like me on the hill, and I know the sacrifices yeah. that those people on the hill have to make to like actually succeed. But at some point, like it just hurts a lot when you get like you know we say that we are Massachusetts Democrats, but then you just constantly look at the voting record, like Nick Collins voting against mm-hmm. you know qualified immunity, like. Here's a guy that has zero qualms like counting the bat, you know, riding the coattails with just every progressive. But then when the actual showdown happens, he votes against it and then has to write some like long drawn out letter like detailing the reasons why when it's like there's no reason why. Look at who you represent you And he's gonna get away with it. Like that's no that's no question. But that's one of these Massachusetts Democrats I'm talking about. Is is that they get to represent a district where it is, you know, a very diverse to the degree that it needs to, and the power centers that exist in it continue to elect people that don't want to actually push that needle to do what is necessary. And that, look at where we are now, where we're still debating police reform, and we're still debate, like, education, we debate everything all the time when we know that the actual basic human circumstances of, pe- of the actual human services people need, we still can't get them to them.
4: And, so, um, and, 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 All right. So, Sam just set me up for the next topic. Okay. <laughs> I, I have to go back to what um, John, yeah. John was just saying. Um, is, you know, because the, the MECO program is a great example of this, yeah. of what I wanted to, to highlight. And, you know, everyone here knows about, like, the Boston crisis mm-hmm. um, in the the 1970s here in Boston. Where mm-hmm. Students from, like, Roxbury were shipped mm-hmm. to Southie, vice versa. Again, massive racism, um, attacks um, for the segregation something that gets underreported during that narrative when we talk about it is the extent of hatred that um people not just had Mm -hmm. towards um the black students and the black families coming into the neighborhoods but towards the suburban Mm -hmm. readership editorial pages of the boston globes that kind of like looked down on those people saying, oh, look at how racist those uh, white people are. Whereas they were living in suburbs that were completely walled off, mm-hmm. segregated, in the, which they escaped to, to get away from a black population mm-hmm. in Boston. And and now we, we can go to the next part, which is basically the, like the problem of who votes in our elections mm-hmm. and the fact that we have one of the least mm-hmm. contested elections. And for me, this entire thing, One of the larger points, not the metathesis, that's coming later. Oh, the metathesis is that this is the Massachusetts Democratic Party is basically a jobs program for what I refer to as mediocre white men. Yes. Who do not have any challenges. (laughs)
2: Like
4: how many races right now, Jonathan? Yeah.
1: Well,
2: (laughs) the well, one funny kind of stat, with there, I believe this is correct, and I can that I believe that there are more white men named Dan in the Massachusetts (laughs) House than there are women of color.
4: No, I think I saw you tweeted that. I thought it was Mike. <laughs> See, this is what we brought you here dance. for. Yeah. No, but, this is exactly um, what. There we are yeah. 160 seats um, in the Mass um, House. How many are being challenged, or how many? Like
2: I, like, I don't know that off the top of my head, but most people spend their whole lives without ever getting getting a contested yeah. election, and that ends up having a. And so you end up having kind of this weird situation in Massachusetts, where uh, the one thing I think is kind of a on the flip side of looking at the Republican Party is the Republican Party has money but no infrastructure. Is how I discovered Massachusetts. If you have money but no infrastructure, you can win statewide. You can win a governor's race by by carpet bombing the state with ads, as well as because you also because of... Martha
3: Coakley was your opponent. <laughs> Let's not forget. Right. As well as a certain type of
2: like <laughs> aff- typically of like a, a certain affluent suburbanite who, if you have a Republican who presents well, and even our Republicans are better than other states' Republicans, mm-hmm. that you can get by with a lot of money. But Republicans don't have an infrastructure. No. So that means that like. The, the thing that's funny to me, is so right, so you currently have, I believe, it's 32 out of 160 are are, are Republicans in, in the House, and that's actually high compared to what it was a decade ago. That like in the 2010 wave, I believe, uh, the, I think it was 2010 when Republicans increased their numbers from like 12 to like 35 or something like that. And it was like, oh my god, like like Democrats are spooked, but like there's still like such a tiny minority in the scheme of things. there was just even a smaller minority before. But they don't have the – Republicans just don't have the ability to contest that many races because – and it's something that's not really necessarily a result of the drawing of districts. It's just that it would probably be very difficult to draw that it many Republican districts in Massachusetts. It doesn't the the
3: matter lives. if the Democrats vote right. Well, yeah. Like, anyway. Yeah, what I'm just talking about even with this is how
2: – so you have people who don't have – to earn, they don't have to earn their keep. Right. Is well, there's, like, dem- there's tons of Democrats so that's like that, that, too. Yeah. So, like, no, I'm saying that when it comes to a Democrat, if you expect to never have a Republican challenger, and yeah. you expect to never have a primary challenger, Right. you're just there to cut ribbons.
3: Yeah. That's literally, like, just <laughs> and, your day job. And, and there's no job. actual
4: motivations for a Nick Collins, Dan yeah. Hunt, uh, people who uh, represent, like, um... But minority majority areas to actually yeah. vote in the interests of those people because you you right now don't have a challenger seat. Just go take yeah. money from some people, stay in your jobs program, go cut rhythms. Maybe yeah. you get to hang out with a Celtics player every now and then. I don't know what they do. Um, I think according to Ballotopia, we are ranked dead last mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to states in terms of competitiveness in our elections. Um, if you to we'll look at 2017, like an off year election cycle during the primaries, yeah, voter turnout. I think in some areas was just over one percent of registered vo- of of like oh, a- eligible thing. voters. Uh, but I, I, I can bring up the actual numbers. But like between like yeah. one and five percent. Oh yeah, like people that college... actually participated.
2: Yeah, no, I know in twenty fourteen in like the the student heavy areas of Boston, it was like I know that the BU precinct had like one point seven percent turnout in the twenty fourteen primary. This is
3: why it's so great to vote in these elections. <laughs> well, well, this and.
4: I mean, it's fun and and maybe we're entering (laughs) um,
1: into how do we solve this problem? territory.
3: Well, it doesn't matter if they don't. vote. Well, I mean, if you are
1: as a point is like one of the great things about this election cycle, right, is we do get a mail in ballot. So maybe there is this like hopefulness that one of the solutions to actually like increasing voter turnout, increasing like voter engagement is this process. Who knows what could happen in September? Who knows what could happen in November with this going on? And this is like one of like, this is an incredible test case where if this goes smoothly, just first September, you know, you have a great example that you get to use passing that along uh, as like the standard of, well, now if we've done it once, maybe we can do it again, maybe increasing voter engagement. The issue, one of my concerns is, is like the power structures of wanting to suppress the vote. Where you don't necessarily want everybody to be engaged in it. Because who would want, like, in our, we know the names of, like, those that deserve to be primary. Like, would they really want, would they really want a primary right now? Like, we're look at Marky right now. Like, he's got to deal with a primary during a mail in ballot against Joe Kennedy. Like, that sucks. And yeah. we're debating over which one is more Democrat enough. So, I, I think one of the solutions to this is, like, testing this, like, mail in ballot thing. But, you know, big picture, you know, we need more access to elections where it's just like we need the holiday or we need to have the election yes, on the a Saturday. holiday. Like we've like these are all the things that we've like any progressive or leftist, whatever it might be, has been saying for ages now, which is is like if you increase voter turnout, you probably get less you know, apathetic voters. And We can't do that. Like we can't. We haven't been able to do that, and we're finally getting the window now to like see how that turns out. Like my hope is 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 that with this mail-in ballot kind of thing, we actually can justify saying like, look how easy it is finally to vote, and this is kind of what we've all wanted for a very long time now. And it took the pandemic to explore that. Why you imagine if there wasn't a pandemic, how much easier it would just be and
2: so, so the one people thing on, are spooked by that on, on voting that i that, that i that i have thought of uh, have before when like massachusetts still doesn't have election day registration which is a basic reform w- which was
4: states... voted down this year
2: yes exactly it was yes. voted down this year uh it's something that most other new england states have uh that maine and new hampshire have had it for a while massachusetts still doesn't and the one thing that's kind of interesting to think about when it comes to voting laws right which democrats nationally talk a lot about uh and in other states are much more prominent we're always horrified when like the thing i laugh about is that if that if uh if republicans in another state were to roll back the number of early voting days to just what massachusetts allows democrats in massachusetts would be horrified even though that the result would still be actually better than what massachusetts currently (laughs) has um is that parties in many ways will act in self-serving ways right that's what you would expect so that if you're in a state where you have an unstable majority or where there's the real ability to fall from majority to a minority you would want to take actions to help keep yourself in the majority so that of voting rights it's, <laughs> it's why voting rights are a flashpoint in many ways because if you believe that the that kind of marginal voters are predisposed to come out for democrats you would want to make it easier for marginal voters mm-hmm. to participate in the elections if you believe that's something that can actually determine whether or not you hold power if you don't believe that that has any impact on whether or not you hold power because the elections aren't contested, why do you care? Yes. It becomes just from a matter of principle that the idea of it's good for people to participate in elections or something like that, which most elected officials don't hold. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: I, well ex- because, you know, like to get to your point, because it, like, it, it is not within their rational interest because exactly. there is no pressure towards them to do that. I, I, exactly. If we had a rival, if we had a strong Republican Party. Oh, did we lose Sam? Two people calling in.
3: Can we do two
4: people? This will be nuts. Uh, maybe we just lost him. But, exactly. but like w- without a primary challenge of people who might lose, yeah. right, um, exactly. w- without another party that, hey, guess yeah. what? Sort of, if we're in power, you you lose your chairmanship. Exactly. That money's coming to me now. Then there is no incentive to expand voting. There is actually no incentive to get up the vote. There is no incentive to maybe pass policies that some of your that, constituents that might, that, want.
2: Exactly. That would like energize yeah. your constituents and, because you're not never at risk for losing yeah. that. And with something like election day registration is viewed by far too many Democrats as a, as a threat to them because they don't know what their electorate is. And especially Democrats who end up having some of the Democrats with college heavy districts are especially afraid of it because they, they should
3: embrace they it.
2: Exactly. Like, they, like you should earn their support of the yeah. college students in your district, all of those potentially new voters. <laughs> but they, they view it as just I don't know who those people are turning out to the polls. And that's a risk to me. Right, that their risk is never that they could lose their seat in a general election, that they could lose power. It's that anything that heightens turnout could be people that they don't know. So it ends up creating a fund, like leads to a fundamentally risk averse uh, system, as well as kind of with which aligns as well to the general aspect of how the mass. This is uh, it's becoming more of an issue in the Senate, but it's more salient of an issue in the House. Is a desire to flatten the differences between everybody in the party, uh, so that there are there is diversity of it there are people who are generally progressive some outspoken some like nominally progressive and some quite conservative and if, if you if you view your your main goal is preserving the power of keeping every single person in your overly large majority protected you don't want to take many votes because you don't want to reveal the yeah. splits between them you want to flatten out to only the things that have full consensus and that, that, that you'll vote on We've seen that. To, it's not as problematic, but we've seen that to some extent on the, on the national level as well. If you look at what Democrats are willing to take up, Democrats are not going to take up votes on the national level that don't have the overwhelming command of the Democratic caucus. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to take votes that will only pass by one vote, even if that because so that you end up having the thing that annoys me is I, I, my home di- the district. I grew up outside of Philadelphia is one of the only districts that Clinton won that has a Republican rep, and Democrats end up flatten- nationally flatten things to the point where that Republican rep is willing to vote for them some of the times, where rather than actually trying to push something and acknowledging that having de- having defections is okay if you pass better policy,
5: mm-hmm.
4: and, and and ultimately, like for me, what, like you know now we're going back to a national level, like, yeah. what they are making is a rational strategic choice of we are just going to appeal to. The margins of the suburban mm-hmm. uh, voters. So let's like nothing yeah. that threatening. Let's peel off a couple percentages in mm-hmm. this state or that state, and that's fine. That's not because they don't actually like you know it's been said before. Like the Democratic Party isn't really a political party because they don't have like an agenda they're trying to do. Like yeah. the Republican Party has an agenda. Yeah, like like they have a, a, oh, yeah. a goal and a mission that they're trying to accomplish at the national level. The Democratic Party is like. Let's just like, let's just have these nice jobs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like we can go to cocktail parties where we're the good people fighting against (laughs) the evil Republicans and let's just, it's a jobs program. The
2: the one thing that I think that I, one way I framed it in terms of what the number of politicians lack is a vision for how society could be in any way other than it is, right? So that you, if you end up lacking that in your mentality for, let's say, as, as a party, as a politician, you're never going to get that far because you don't actually have the idea that society could be structured in any different way than it is. Even like not even let's say total overhaul, but just that the, the governing that certain governing principles or structures would look different than they are. And so if you don't have that, you can you can have a basis of like of modest amelioration, so that you can do slight steps to minimize the suffering that exists in the world. But you fundamentally don't have a, an approach of society looking any different than it did.
4: Correct, I agree with that. Um, all right, so I'm going to call this the, the SAM thesis is <laughs> we need to expand voting, voting access, voting opportunities to get more people participating in the electoral process to have some sort of a pressure or change, to say what well, I I mean, I like- it's more
1: than that, though. I don't, I don't mean, know, I, you I am You're talking, <laughs> you know, it's like money. It's like, I mean, it's just like, it costs money to run, right, like, like I feel bad. For women in particular, especially like, you know, women of color that have, you know, children and they have to balance all this bullshit and then to run for office to make the sacrifice to do that. It's a lot. You know, the the barriers of running for office are very real. And you have all these great organizations out there that obviously are trying to, like, correct that right to get these types of people that want to figure out what a future looks like for the Democratic Party or for Massachusetts like in office it's just so expensive and i think like obviously like one of the great things that if we could have in massachusetts to say the least is public elections right like Mm -hmm. i remember one of the first things that blew my mind about like massachusetts politics or you know just about like running for office entirely is is how jay gonzalez and charlie baker were running against each other and jay gonzalez can only get so little money out of like public financing to like compete and it obviously became clear that you know this is just like the law that allows it to be what it is but you wonder if we did have publicly financed elections where everybody had like kind of the same level playing field and it didn't require all this like outside influence or it just didn't require the same old power players and going through the rolodex saying can you write me a check can you write me a check like if you actually had robust elections that were structured in a way that allowed people to know these are your candidates, these are how they're running, these are what they care about. You would probably see more people run for office. You'd get more active, spicy primaries and elections, but because of the cost prohibitive nature of running for office, yeah. you just it's you you just don't see that enough. And and that's one of the things that like obviously just sucks the most. And I personally would like to see that corrected because what happened in Boston in last election cycle, just seeing all those people run, it was crazy, and it came down to one vote. Vote, but that's what people deserve. That's, that's what right. people should have. That you know that we should have a ton of people running and debating the ideas, and if it takes forever to actually get to that, and then we can just say, okay, everybody vote. Okay, that's how it is. But there's just such a hindrance for people to to run for office. Like if someone got Julia McHean on the phone being like, How much debt are you in right now? Like I would be I would I would be shocked at like seeing that number, you know, like being like this is what it is, right? Like it's and like then, buying a new house. It's like buying a new house or buying a new car or paying, going to school and getting a master's degree, right? Like you just take on all this fucking debt that you're eventually gonna have to pay off to do the right thing. Like it's just awful. And yeah. maybe that's one of the issues we have and why we don't see diverse like state house and why our elections are so difficult.
4: And then, um, I know Jonathan has important. I think Lana's is important. I was going to say, and it's it's almost like a little bit of like a chicken or an egg thing because in order to yeah. pass legislation that will have public financing of so. elections, you need to get new people in. But the only way to get new people in is to make it easier to raise the money so like, so yeah. the people in office really don't have a rational incentive to pass the policies, which will make it easier for challenges to emerge. Seattle, to me, is the best example of this where they, they give everyone like $100 mm-hmm. of like, voting bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Extra and, so, bucks. and so every voting Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so every every registered voter yeah, gets yeah, basically yeah. three hundred dollars. It says, hey, register to vote, we'll give you a hundred dollars that you get to spend on any campaign of your choice. Mm-hmm. And now people are like, oh, I get a free bucks. I'm actually gonna like look into this. Yeah. I might yeah. actually vote. I might actually volunteer. Yeah. And, like, um but again, how do we get people to pass that where it is not within their interest to pass it because it will create an opportunity for challenges.
2: Well, yeah. So the, the one other thing I was going to note, which relates to the, the kind of money and barriers uh, that Scan was talking about, is that the, you also have the barriers to information in the first place or participation, oh, yeah. not just participation yeah. as a candidate, because it's often difficult to figure out what's happening. Yeah. And it's difficult to have um, a kind of – that we have – a. a a weak sense of i think we have a weak sense of political efficacy in the u.s like that ability to think that engaging in the political system will will yield change Mm -hmm. especially because because it hasn't for decades exactly because like the fact that it it often hasn't reinforces that the the fact that it's difficult to figure out how to participate in the first place Mm -hmm. makes that difficult it's difficult to find information right about how to participate it makes it and that you have let's say in massachusetts two different dimensions as well when it comes to information one are people who are struggling and just like it's there are so many taxes on their time that paying attention to yeah have, it's just another tax on their yeah. time that they just it's just not something that they're going to spend time on, right You also have the dimension in Massachusetts politics where people think that Massachusetts is fine, yeah, because and it's why people in Massachusetts would often rather work on elections in all forty nine other states uh, uh rather than elections in Massachusetts and because if you think that it's fine, it's also like.
3: Oh, let's you, go you just, let's go uh, make phone calls for Joe Biden now. And I'm like, There's
2: like a bunch well, I mean, of good... Yes. Yeah, if you so look
1: like... at an example of last night, like Cory Corey Bush, like, you know, everybody wanted to get it you know, everybody wanted to help her in some way because they knew that this was like some kind of like moment. Whereas like here, you're never gonna like I don't know, maybe I mean Iana Pressley and herself, right? Like uh, like doing the upset against Cap. But like in these examples you're seeing these like moments where if the national attention isn't happening in your area, then everybody's just going to say it's fine. Like, it's not. There's nothing to worry about.
4: And, and if anyone does think it's fine, uh, Massachusetts has somewhere between the fifth or the eighth highest um, income inequality. Yeah. We have a 33 year life yeah. expectancy mm-hmm. differential. The, like people who are born in Roxbury have the same life expectancy as basically like towards the mid 19th century, like mm-hmm. before, like into a plumbing, like yeah. 56, 59 years old. We're two miles down the road. I think it's closer to 90, 92. Yeah. Third most gentrified uh, city in America, Boston. So if anyone thinks we're doing fine yeah. by whatever metrics you use, please let me know what the metrics are because life yeah. expectancy for me is a big metric that I bring up yeah. a lot. I'm just measuring how well are we doing?
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to just say in terms of, uh, you know, I guess, um, <laughs> sorry to troll, but uh, I'm not trolling. Actually. If anybody wants to put their money where their mouth is and complaining about people not running, um, I would love to hear somebody <laughs> in this room or on this phone call um, announce their candidacy for the state Does it have to be me? No, yes, yes, no, no, no. <laughs> Um, I, I
4: I made the statement that um, basically, if we we we, we are not going to have I said this at like a Dorchester neighborhood meeting. We will never again have not have a challenger for either that's Fred Banker, or state rep, senator. Right. We are going to make people sing for this summer. If yeah, that means that that means that I have to run in every single election simultaneously <laughs> yes. on a ballot, I will do that. Someone
1: would, some would call you an Althea Garrison. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
4: yes.
3: If I have to that become, actually reminds me of this, this, Oh this, my God.
2: But, you, but, but is, then
1: again, like think about it though. Think about it though. Like here we are like, we're laughing about her. But, I mean, she does run a lot. Right. And Dude, Althea it, Garrison been... is
2: so it's, hardcore. It's actually why, like, one thing that if I had the skills to make, to, like, do doc- uh, the skills of a documentary filmmaker, the one yeah. film, ma- documentary I'd love to make is on perennial candidates. Yes. And to make it in a way that, like, slightly problem, slightly like problematizes how we typically view perennial candidates. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, when we tell people how uh, we – that people should run for office, so right? you should get involved, right? And and if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? So uh, the perennial candidate is in many ways taking those at their word. Yeah. Yes. They're actually embodying a certain They're walking form the of walk. civic virtue. They're often also completely bizarre. Oh, I mean, yeah. but it's, it's this fascinating... Very supreme. Exactly. <laughs> so it's this fascinating tension of, like, the best ep- epitomies of civic virtue are also some of the most, like, I kind of bizarre community, exactly. And just to actually like engage with that as as a question would be a fascinating documentary to make. No, I like it.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's great. In fact, I think that um, I think you should run, Evan, and then we can make a documentary <laughs> yeah, about
4: it. Stop trying to get me to run. Um, we, we have plans for Dorchester. That's all I say. Okay. Uh, it does not rely on can me running. Can
3: somebody run against Moran? That's it's all. Are you in asking. the district? Yes. I uh... might do it. I don't know. I and I was like, Lauren
4: set up the question just so then she can say, fine, I'll run. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a- <laughs> this is all just, like, a ploy. Um, the one larger point I wanted to make, um, and I don't know how you're doing on time, yeah. uh, Jonathan.
2: If I, for the sake of getting back, if we can wrap up, like, in the next, like, five minutes. Well, he's got an arc. No, no, so no, no, no. no.
4: We're at the end of the arc. I, okay. we, we hit what I wanted to, which is, like, we need to stop primarying. We need yeah. to I want a name easier. and
3: shame. Section, but. The,
4: the major point that, that we did get to hit successfully is the reason that we don't actually pass anything is because there is no pressure to get them to.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Whether that's financial pressure in terms of- And uh,
3: even the marching in the streets doesn't-
4: Nope. They, they just get used to it. They were able to look at uh, yeah. people um, sleeping outside for 13 days They're in a row j- just to vote on something, which again, 15 other states have, I believe-
2: as well as the one thing that ends up happening that, like with uh, protests, especially in Massachusetts, is that a lot of legislators see protests and think, oh, well, the, the, that's just everybody from Cambridge and JP here yeah. again. And that's not my, that's not my district. Uh, and so they don't care because it's not like them. One of the most interesting studies I remember seeing before is about how both Democrats and Republicans view their districts as more conservative than they are. Uh, that they had studied, I think, a number of congressional districts. I think they even looked at on the state legislative level. Uh, and the study had looked at uh, opinions about marriage equality and single payer healthcare,
5: mm-hmm.
2: and they had asked Republicans and de- like Republican and Democratic legislators about what percentage of their constituents they think support these, and like the Republicans were wildly <laughs> off, right? Like, uh, but twenty like, percent
4: support Sharia law, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like, just like
2: just say something. Uh, like, so, like Republicans com- like comically wrong, yeah. but Democrats also <laughs> overestimated how, like they underestimated how the support for kind of. liberal progressive whatever positions in their own districts and you have a a severe case of that in massachusetts and it does come to the pressure point because if you're hearing from like five conservative old white guys who constantly call your office about how terrible immigrants are that's your view of your district
4: and then you go home and you hang out with your friends who are all probably pretty wealthy at the golf course and this is all you also hear and then you watch maybe MSNBC at night, and then you just yeah. like, oh, like this is the world. This exactly. is like what it must be.
2: So, the, so you don't actually, so that if they don't actually hear from that much, other than let's say those who are comfortable and those who are like the worst human beings. <laughs> that it it ends up having a, a massive skewing perspective on on what they think that they that they're act- what they think that their district thinks. One one point I always like to make is like, granted, not like that. Uh, Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in more districts than Democrats hold in either house. Here, Obama actually w- beat Romney in 2012 in every single Senate district in Massachusetts, uh, even the Republican one. So, like, Grant, that it kind of indicates that, like, not that all these districts are like great places or anywhere, mm-hmm. but that like your district wasn't even racist enough to vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> so, like, stop being afraid to pass basic things that other states have.
4: No, that's a good point. And um, so I I wanted to read you all a quote. Yeah. Um, Last point. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. You know who wrote that? The person who wrote our Constitution. (laughs) John Adams. My meta point that we don't even have time to go into, which is fine because I don't have too much on it, is that... (coughs) All of our policies, all of our laws, all of the structures, all of our constitutions were never meant to hold democracy within them. And the project of America from both the mid-19th century when we allowed poor white people to vote, to when we tried to expand that towards uh, what we did towards women and then towards people of color in the 1960s, is to j- try to jam democracy into a structure that was never meant to hold it. And that to me, is still like the biggest failing at the national level and even at the state level. We have the oldest active constitution in the world, I believe, is that it was never meant to be a democracy. We have attempted, through some weak-ass amendments, to jam democracy into it, but it still does not reflect it. And to be honest, it probably can't. And with that...
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Not positive, no. (laughs) All right. I want to go through... Okay, now that you guys did your... Ken Burns documentary on <laughs> history of a... democracy and everything. Can I just go through some like freaking state house people that I think are awesome and or terrible? Um all for it. Like I just I wanna talk some shit and you're all talking high level stuff. Yeah, and I'm done. I came here to like off, talk queen. shit. So I all right.
1: Yeah, but it's designed it's designed that way. Like it is yes. it is a complex process. Like the ad that you guys had on earlier before you guys went live, like just how fast like someone could speak on even saying a roll call vote like this is how it's designed to be it's designed to be complex parliamentary procedure that kind of shit like no ordinary person no ordinary person would understand that but here we are try and comprehend that in the most basic way possible and it's we have to comprehend that in a way where it's like people just want to pay the rent and we can't even figure that you know we can't even Streamline that kind of process to say here's some cash, like solve that. So, I I understand where you're coming from about like I'm fascinated how Jonathan just knows all this shit sometimes. (laughs) He understands
5: the rules. He
1: understands how you know the players and who kind of like moves and shakes and and all that stuff. It's just it is fascinating. But as an observer, this is one of the more annoying parts. Is we're just an ordinary. Some people are just ordinary people, and they just want to understand. If their government is effectively taking care of them and we can't even be transparent about that and that is one of the most frustrating things about beacon hell for me personally so you know i i understand what you're saying i understand where you're coming from
3: yeah i mean i I, the transparency of all the voting uh, up there has been extremely messed up for a long time i was impressed with the amount of roll calls that were like we spoke of Mm -hmm. earlier actually recorded in like this lovely chart here I have in front of me. <laughs> um, I wish I could have that for everything. I wish I could just look up a bill yeah, and see did. how everybody voted in committee, which is again, what and, we assume exists. Yeah. This is what should actually happen, but it doesn't. Um, I believe that, uh, Anna Call- and Callahan is mm-hmm. running, uh, to on a transparency centered platform, yep. um, which we may go into at some, at some further point. I do want to, you know, um, However, her opponent Christine Barber looks like already also voted correctly on all the police reform budget
2: issues. That's good. But you know, um, I'm looking at yeah, this yeah. No, I can do in terms of shout outs to people who are really good on that. Um, yeah,
4: uh, we're talking police reform. Just to
2: with like in terms of actually in general for the session. Okay. Also, like, will yes, Give shout outs to people. Uh, her birthday was recently. I give a shout out to Nika Aligardo. Yeah, maybe of course, just, of course. Just, just Love Nika. It's been great.
3: We got Connolly. We got Aguardo. Exactly. Those are the expected ones. The,
2: then um, Lindsay Sabadoza out in Northampton is great. Okay, awesome. Um, Maria Robinson and Jack Lewis in Framingham are both, yep. sol- are both solid. Um, who else do I want to give a shout out to? Tammy Gravea in, in Acton. Yeah. So been... that's
3: a different part of Acton then. So my friend just got elected a state rep. Okay, Dan. Dan Cena. Yeah, he's
2: also Acton. Across
3: but... the board. Perfect yeah. score so far. Yeah. Thank God
2: yeah um he's a, he's a good guy
3: yeah he is
2: uh, um but yeah acton is split in between two one of the many like weird yeah uh district kind of like brighton uh and we were talking about somerville before De, uh denise denise provo is good people and yeah. she's retiring and hopefully erica yeah. mm-hmm. uh win, wins that seat to repla- replace her denise yeah. is somebody who's like super smart if you've ever had the well, like Provo is good yeah
3: um, and then a couple others. There was that guy from Watertown. Wasn't John Hack. Yeah, yeah, John Hack. Yeah, he's, he's very, pretty
2: good. Good Um, uh, who's good? And then there, there are some people who are, who are, who are good on this issue. I'll give I'll give credit for on on the policing issue particularly. I'll give credit to Liz Miranda, who is the one who. Yeah. Uh, was outspoken on trying to trying to make it a better thing natalie higgins i forgot to mention who's who represents a district that isn't particularly progressive but is really solid she's the former executive director of phenom the public higher education network of massachusetts and represents lemonster Okay. Uh, which cool. nobody expects to be like to produce yeah. one of the most like consistently yeah. progressive good. uh state reps so that's always a that's, that's always awesome. a positive when you can get all right uh, somebody good out of there
4: and can i well, ask sucks as yeah, I was gonna say, and uh, this might be might be a wedge comment, and we don't need to go Ooh. too much into it. Do we know why Liz Miranda voted against
2: the rent control amendment? That I don't know because she, yeah, because she. There are some people who who both co-sponsored the bill, yeah. What and was voted up with against it So like that that was that was bizarre to me. I like. I actually wrote out like who I have it. It's on. It's, if you go to theprogressivemass. dot com, I've on the blog. I actually listed for like all those housing votes who co-sponsored the bill then voted against it, which, <laughs> oh, which, I which we didn't that even line. get to.
4: I mean, yeah, th- we didn't th- even get to. that. now we've gotten full full circle in exactly. the amount of people who co-sponsor a bill and then the bill doesn't pass. And you're like, well, how? Like, because mathematically you had enough people who co-sponsored it to pass it, and yet it doesn't pass. How's that possible? Yeah, part of the many problems. It,
2: and, 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 and it speaks to the structure of of leadership where like if with any amendment if let's say if it's ruled in advance what will happen right mm-hmm. this will. This is an amendment that will pass this is an amendment that will not pass that there's that there ends up being a pressure on people to fall in line and so, which is always disappointing when people people choose to uh, so and- can we just back up uh,
3: progressivemass.com is yeah. the website where people can see these votes themselves. Yeah. You do a lot of posting. Is this your site or your I'm the one who
2: does a lot of the updating on yeah, it? Yeah, so. and you've done a great <laughs> job with it.
3: I've been following it. So people want to follow along if they keep releasing yeah. data and roll calls. Uh I, I post it in the chat, progressivemass.com. Um yeah. we haven't even gotten to plugs yet, but I just wanted to let everybody know that's what we're looking at. I do want to yeah, so Liz Miranda
0: uh, who are I, let, let's trash talk people now. Yes, that's what I'm. That's what okay. I'm trying to get to.
3: Thank
4: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I came
3: to talk some ne- shit. Now we're
4: entering like Sam's territory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, go off. Okay. Why
3: don't you like talking trash? That's not what I do. Oh I God. love talking. That's my favorite thing. Exactly. All right. So can we, let's go. Let's let's
2: round this up before I have okay. to head home. What yeah. are we talking trash
3: on? Um. So, well, we can always talk about the Leo,
2: but we don't even know what happened. So, like backstage. I'm happy. Like, we don't have enough time for me to throw share some, my opinions I everybody, like, if you want to go, like, comically terrible, just go to, like, Colleen Gary, who I don't even know why. Like, who's, yeah, he's, like, the most, who's, like more, more Republican than, like, the Republicans, despite being a Democrat. Like, <laughs> what what district is she? She represents Drake It. Oh, weird. And okay. so, like, it was wild that there was, when the, they had voted to, um, Basically when Massachusetts still had a law that was basically saying that if women are on welfare have like have children that we're not like you shouldn't have children we're not going to like give you money for them.
3: Oh uh, yeah, that, that makes sense.
2: Right, <laughs> William William yeah, Galvin
3: wasn't so good either. Yeah, oh,
2: there, there's no such person. There, there are no good Bill Galvins. There are no
5: good Bill Galvins.
2: <laughs> that's that's one of the. Wait, rules is he and, a
3: different Bill Galvin than? Yes,
2: there are two Bill Galvins, Whoa. and they're both bad. Oh, it blows your
3: That's all. Okay. Like, it's fascinating. What about? There's two Morans. There's two Morans in the State House. Um, one, yeah. one of them is mine. One of them is some guy named Frank, and they voted yeah. exactly the same. Generally, yes. What was interesting was Honan's votes. Yeah, because well,
2: oh, sorry, historically,
3: he has been pretty anti-police reform and pretty pro-cop. And I think it's the primary that's really yeah. helped with that. No,
2: it's, a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing to see both, one, how people respond to primary challenges, yeah. which is like why you need primary yep. challenges. Because yes. people vote better when you have them. Uh, as well as the thing that's also interesting to watch with certain votes is when you get the impression that certain legislators had permission to vote differently from the speaker. Because if oh, you're somebody yeah. who's like very high ranking, the speaker will know if you're voting no. And, if, if, and like, one, one, people shouldn't have to get permission for how they vote on anything. <laughs> But two, (laughs) if you think that you need to vote differently from the speaker for political reasons, I'd rather that than you fall in line. Like, that's still a step up because you realize, yes, my constituents think this is good. Maybe I should take a, even though it's just symbolic, vote to say, I agree with you constituents. I want somebody to replace them who actually doesn't want, doesn't feel like they need that permission. But the fact that you actually have thought enough to think, you know... Maybe I should should actually do this. It's like a uh, at least a step up it and in. And the that's, ranks what's, of, that's
4: what's always striking to me, especially like, like 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 the rank control amendment sixty six, like like a blowout. Yeah. Like there are plenty of people who could have told like DeLeo, oh hey, like I'm gonna vote yes for this because we know it's gonna it's not gonna pass, pass. just so I I can like just. squirt. Exactly. And, like, so, like, like, like like why wouldn't you do that? that I, like yeah. it doesn't make sense. That's the thing
2: that's, that's kind wild of your me, job, <laughs> especially when you have people who like co sponsor and then vote again. Yeah. It's symbolic, yeah, ultimately. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. Like your vote isn't going to suddenly like scramble the speaker's plans and lead to the rent control amendment yeah. passing. It's just not going. Like, like, to Like you could
4: backroom deal and pass the correct way in, exactly. in a way that I don't like, but at least like you're, but, but
2: at least you're like right. you're you're politically astute. <laughs> yeah, enough. yeah.
4: Like like you're aware enough of like the reality. Exactly.
2: Of it. Like and it's just a fascinating thing to me that more people don't at least even get that, that yeah. like that you're like okay. I don't care to see this pass, but I know that I need to vote, yeah. as, as though I think that it did. And like, frankly, it, it speaks again to why they need pressure because if they have primary challengers, they realize it is important for yes. them to vote as though they think it, something should pass, even regardless of what they actually think.
4: Um. All right. I know Jonathan has to get out. Yeah. Uh, wait.
2: Uh, any more? Just any more names? Oh, like most, like mostly, almost every single person. That I know. Like, uh, Ron Mariano is a ter- is like. Okay. it is terrible he's like the I just don't
1: trust any of them so <laughs> I, mean, I, don't I don't trust, trust anybody in leadership. I don't trust any of them Juan uh, okay.
2: Mariano who's like the number two I've basically heard it described is how like Bob DeLeo only really cares about casinos and everything else is negotiable but Juan yeah. Mariano is actually ideologically conservative in many ways Ugh. Um, that like the whole the whole leadership team is fairly conservative. Yeah. Mike Moran is a perpetual disappointment because he's yeah. really opposed to election day registration because he's afraid that students from BU would actually vote. He's
3: also like in charge of the way our like whole Austin Brighton is completely bizarrely cut up the way it is. Yeah. Like that's his fault. He's also kind so of them. weird. It's funny because Mike presents weird and sweaty.
4: Uh, Go Sam.
1: Sorry, it's just funny because Mike presents himself as, like, this big Bernie guy. Like, you know, I'm I'm going to have your back. I always think it's we, not me. And it's like, look, you vote a hell of a lot. Like, it's more about you, not us. And that is, and that is, frustrated oh there we was so there was so much there's
4: so much inside baseball stuff we that i can't say on there about mike Moran's relationship with the uh, party uh, <laughs> other um uh, other bernie delegates which were not thrilled at his uh, yeah like,
2: i, I was, was angry when he got voted for at the, at the state committee because i like what he what
3: really wanted that? me on that bus yeah, yeah no, <laughs> no, uh, oh, 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 oh.
4: there are
2: comments that i, that I
4: will not no, yeah no no, no i'm not going into what people tell me um
2: but, like, so, basically the vast majority of the legislature are just are, under, are underwhelming at best, yes. is how I would describe them. Mediocre white um, men. Yes. Yeah.
3: So, um... In ter-
2: We're and, experts at nothing.
3: And so one of the things we usually try to do at the end of the show is plugs. Do we have plugs? Who should you vote for? Do you have any events coming up? Anything you want to promote? In terms of... Uh, Anything. What do you want people of- to look up that want to follow... More if you stuff. go to so in
2: terms of like candidates, we do on the say on the Progressive Mass website have our endorsements of for different races in, uh-huh. in 2020. Uh, if you go to the website progressivemass.com, you can find that. Yep. Uh, for the most, I think like one of the only times we've actually like, there, I think there are only like two incumbents that we've endorsed to date. Uh, which Rebecca Roush in the Senate, who's great, was newly elected, somebody who's like definitely to the solidly to the left of her district, and that that's important. message, It's Ed Markey, uh, but in a number of cases, either people who are challenging. <laughs> we things. didn't even get into no, Ed Markey. No, we, we have time. <laughs> uh, that, uh, and then uh, I yeah, too long for for that. For oh that, my god. Uh, and then a number of people, both you know, primary incumbents, uh, are important, or people mentioned Erica before, people running in open races, yeah. who be, be, have important voices for the state house. So put in a plug for that of making sure that people do vote. Uh, that you should have gotten an application in the mail oh, uh, yeah. for a vote Sitting by mail. So you can send that in. You can early vote, and later <laughs> in August, you can vote. You can vote in person on election day, but make sure to check as it gets closer if your polling location has moved, mm-hmm. um, because. Like the only way that the, the 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 vast majority of mediocre white men in the Massachusetts legislature will ever not continue to be there or continue to be mediocre is if, like the the one way as I described this recently is as you as a constituent have to try to move them and then if you can't move them just you need to remove them, yeah Uh from, from their job so whether that's you running or you you helping somebody else run it's like they don't if they if they're not earning their yeah.
1: Sam any plugs. Yeah, the only plug I got is, you know, everybody knows me on the Twitter a little bit, but if you are interested in excellent, hot takes and commentary, they can listen to We Need Some Milk podcast with my buddy Babu and myself. He lives in New Jersey, so he does the New Jersey shit, and I do the Massachusetts shit, and uh, I'm mad about a lot of stuff because everybody is currently poor right now because of the pandemic. And no one seems to take that seriously. So I like to speak about that on the state and the local level with my best friend.
4: And, and yeah. I will echo that podcast. Yes. I enjoy listening to it. Um, yeah. Minor quick, nothing uh, personal. Um, I'm going to just shout out Damali Vidal, um yeah. Erica Idahoven, Anna Callahan. And of course, Isan Leckie for the Massachusetts 4th district.
2: Fun thing with Damali, Damali is a case where you'd have a progressive woman of color replacing a Dan oh there we
3: go <laughs> no more dance yeah. no more except dancina he's cool yeah um, but his name's actually danilo yeah so he doesn't, doesn't count warren uh, Herb. uh so i want to plug i'm still gonna i'm gonna always plug jordan me in um, because absolutely. thank you jordan no matter what happens honan keeps voting the, <laughs> yeah. the way we want jordan. because he's scared <laughs> yeah Gotta love Jordan. He comes to all the Alston Brighton, Black Lives Matter things, which are all of two that we've managed to put on. Um, I I wish I had more big uh, Black Lives Matter marches and events because I try to go to everything because I there's nothing I love more than a protest. Um, and uh, what I, all I'm seeing is August 9, um, Mass Action Against Police Brutality, which is a great organization that I, I love to support, has a march uh, Sunday at 3, starting at Terrence Coleman Park, which is called Peter's dog park on washington street but mm-hmm. it's oh, gonna it's terrence coleman's park i'll also, probably go to that it's a great march what else what other March? Massachusetts are on?
4: first first dif- uh, district alice um alex morse oh yeah, Massachusetts, yeah. um yeah th- um that's a big national fight yeah um that uh, people should volunteer for thank you shane okay. oh and on nicole um I, i'm gonna nicole you. thank yeah. you
2: yes
3: nicole masalem's amazing yeah. interviewed her Paul on the young i'm
2: media- one of the many mediocrities.
3: yes um uh, Nicole's amazing uh, who else is running that I'm forgetting uh, well Asan obviously you probably said One that
2: per, like in terms of people who are primary and incumbents that are great yeah. uh, you mentioned the two Morans she's running against the other Moran but Marinella Rivera is a uh, Lawrence School Committee member and education justice activist up there awesome who's running in that like Definitely need more voices like that. Awesome. And
3: if anybody knows of any more protests for me to go to, I am getting bored, and I, my calendar is, like, sadly empty right oh, now. Man. I don't know what to do. Do I keep having to go troll Blue Lives Matter events? <laughs> I guess so. Um, I don't know. That's all. All right. What else are we playing? This, this fun. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. Uh, thank you Sam, so thank much you for Jonathan. calling thank in, yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you for having thank you. me.
4: Herb just did like three different podcast sessions. <laughs> He's like <laughs> falling Herb is
3: falling asleep over there. But Jonathan, um, asleep over there. Um, Jonathan
1: could just like talk for hours. It's like I was going to say, like yeah. I, I, I could actually hey, keep you, John, keep you here if I wanted to just keep fucking you. those are my favorite
3: guests though because I don't have to do any work. Yeah, thank you. this is the easiest show. Yeah, thank you Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. But all right, bye, Sam.
4: Jonathan. Bye. Thank you. All right. Uh,
3: hey wait by the way follow us on twitter instagram spotify itunes we have a patreon if you want to give me money i don't have a job i'd appreciate it also we're on facebook and uh yeah everything else itunes everything subscribe like leave reviews Bam. whatever do all the social media stuff we're out <laughs> Peace. later